And I will now introduce our speaker for tonight, and that's Ray. Out of Stanley comes Pulsible Ray, and my name is Ray. Hi. Hi, Ray. Someone once said that circumstances do not make the man, they reveal him. So the, what I'm going to reveal, uh, reveal tonight to you is what has happened, what, was, what I was like, what happened, and what I'm like now. I will tell you that I've got 30 years, one month, and eight days in Old Readers Anonymous, and I maintain a 55-pound weight loss for that period of time. Okay. If you want to know what I was like, because you're going to look and say, gee, this is such a handsome, well-adjusted individual, I will quickly go to page 52 in the big book and tell you what it says. We were having trouble with personal relationships. People met me and they said, you're the most antagonistic son of a bitch I've ever met, and if I never see you again, it'll be too soon. Uh, we couldn't control our emotional natures. That's true. My blood pressure was 180 over 110 blood pressure. I'm an 80-year-old man on the verge of a paralytic stroke. Uh, let's see, we were afraid of misery and depression. Not depression, thank God for that, but misery, yes. We couldn't make a living. Uh, I've had double-digit jobs, uh, too many to count. We had a feeling of uselessness. Well, uh, you know, it's a neurotic, highly emotional, easily upset, very sensitive, capable of making decisions destructive to self. That was where I was at. We were full of fear. False evidence appearing real, F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. If you don't like that definition, use fuck everything and run. However, a better one for that is face everything and recover, and I'll share with you later about uh, facing everything and recovering, F-E-A-R. We were unhappy, couldn't seem to be a real help to other people. So that's where I'm coming from. So we'll move on to uh, where I'm going here. And I covered that. So when I came into Old Readers Anonymous, uh, I came in really because my wife got, was in a little bit earlier than me and I wanted to find out what kind of a cult she had joined because there was nothing wrong with me. See, I was fine. That means I was fucked up, insecure, neurotic, and eating. Aside from that, I was okay. So what I had to do, what I had to do was look out for all the spies that were out there. That meant that I was having trouble with the spies that were out there. When I'm talking about spies, I'm talking about things that were wrong with my spiritual, my physical, my intellectual, my emotional, or my social aspect of my life. And these were the things that OA was going to do. So, you know, the kids, I remember when I was in school, they used to say to me, you know those gates that are out there? They're not to keep you kids in there, to keep other people out. Well, the, uh, the program here uh, doesn't open the doors of heaven to let me in. It opens the doors of hell to let me out. So uh, there was a couple of things that I had to do in order to get into OA. Number one is I had to have a desire. Once I had the desire, I had to make some sort of a decision. Once I made that decision, I then had to accept the direction. That meant getting a sponsor and doing what my sponsor suggested. And once I made the, got the direction, I had to exercise the discipline. So that was what it took to get into the program. I've already qualified for you. I'll tell you real quickly about military school. My mom took me to military school. My mom, my dad uh, died when I was five years old from suicide because my mommy and my daddy never had a crossword between them. My mommy told me that. Never had a crossword between them. So if they'd been talking, as today we hope in relationships we can talk, and uh, I've been married to the same wonderful lady 
48 years. Uh, so this program really does work there. And uh, she took me to military school because I was a tough kid to handle. And she says, look around the school. If you like it, you can stay. If you don't, you can come home. So I looked around the school and decided I didn't like it. And I turned around to tell Mom and I had been abandoned. And uh, Mom had left. So about two weeks later, the teacher in school there said, write a letter home to your folks and tell them how you like it. I wrote the following letter. Dear Mom, my name is Raymond. I wasn't sure she still remembered who I was. Uh, I have brown hair and blue eyes, but most of all, I want to be your friend. A friend, that's someone who knows you as you are, understands where you've been, accepts who you've become, and will gently allow you to grow. Okay. So in order to get some type of uh, recovery, and knowing that I wasn't making a living or anything else, I decided, gee, if I could become an alcoholic, because alcoholics make a lot of money, apparently. So I did my very best to try to become an alcoholic and found out I couldn't develop the allergy of the body. I had the obsession of the mind, but I couldn't develop the allergy of the body there. So uh, that um, somebody said to me, well, you ever heard of Overeaters Anonymous? Who wants to admit that I am a powerless over food and that my life is unmanageable? Certainly not me. So what I decided was that if I couldn't drink alcohol, at least I could mix it with tranquilizers because at that time they had me on Librium because of my high blood pressure and, and my emotional natures. And I was mixing alcohol and Librium, uh, getting a floating sensation and hoping that maybe I would exit the world and everybody would say how sorry they were that they had been so abusive to Ray. You know, there's an old Zen saying out there that says, when the student is ready, the, the teacher will appear. And I came to uh, some meetings trying to find out what kind of cult this was. And I heard a speaker who allows me to break her anonymity since she's no longer her. Her name was Dottie Shore. Alcohol has been pronounced dead from alcoholism three different times. She would not stay dead. And now I know why. The coach said, I've got to find somebody that's going to be able to tell Ray what to do and make sure that he's going to do it. So I walked up to her in my John Wayne talk, and with John Wayne walk, you know, I cocked my head to my side, I sauntered up there, I had my thumbs in my belt, and I said, lady, what can you do for somebody who has everything in life? Now, I was a pathological liar at that time, too. I couldn't make a living, my life was shit, and everything, and I said, what can you do for a guy that has everything except a little more money? She says, will you go home and think about it and give me a call? So, like a good person that I am, I came home, and the next morning I called her at the appointed time, and when she answered, I hung up. That was on Monday morning. On Tuesday morning, she answered, and I hung up again. I did this on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. The idea was to terrify her that somebody was checking on her, and I was going to show her that uh, what, what life was all about. Called her Saturday morning, and God stepped in. And for two hours, I cried on the phone. and was the first time I'd cried as an adult except from pain. And she said this. She said, Ray, I will work with you under one condition. And I thought, ah, here's where the money comes in. I knew there was a gimmick here somewhere. She says, promise me this, that as you recover, I said, Dottie, stop. She said, what's the matter? I said, there's no chance of my recovering. I says, I'm 40 years old. I'm 69 today, incidentally. I might be 70 in November. But I know I looked 39, but I am 69 there. And she says, I will work with you on one condition. And I says, what's that? She says, you promise me that as you recover, you'll never be too tired or too busy to share your experience, your strength, and your hope with another human being or beings for no dues or fees or rewards of any kind. 
With you people, I've been privileged and honored to keep that commitment for 30 years, one day at a time. So, I had to get a sponsor. I did that. I talked, told you about that. I told you about the Dottie story. And there, well, I've got, a, I've got a certain amount of time and I've got to cover an awful lot of territory. So, in order to do it, I've got to talk fast and hope it doesn't come out half-assed. Okay. So, anyway, um, Dottie would tell me all these th different things to do. And I'd say, but... And she'd say this, and I'd say, but, and she'd say, but, you know what but, but, but is? That's a meeting called an asshole there. So anyway, uh, so anyway, she said, well, I said, tell me, you know, you people talk about this, this God, and I'm Jewish. My grandfather was a rabbi. I held the Torah many times in temple and everything. I walked out of temple, and I didn't feel any different than when I walked in. No better, no worse there. And I said to the rabbi one day, I said, show me this God that you're talking about. He says, well, as a Jew, you have to find God in your own heart. Now, that told me either, number one, he didn't know God, or number two, he wasn't going to introduce me to God. <laughs> you know, obviously, because he couldn't do it. So anyway, I said to Daddy, I said, you show me this God, and then I'll believe. You see, now, I've always been raised on the fact that when I see it, I will believe it. And that's wrong. I will see it after I believe it. And we'll cover that in just a moment about and came to believe. Okay. So I said to Dottie, I says, you tell me what to do and I'll do it. So she says, well, okay, get down on your knees. I said, well, she says, what's the matter? I says, I'm Jewish. She says, oh, God doesn't care. Get down on your knees and, and say certain things. So ask God to reveal himself to you as he wants you to know him. So I lay the phone down, I got down my knees, I said, okay, God, reveal yourself to me, you want me to know, yeah, God, I says, nothing happened, she says, keep doing it, and God will reveal himself to you as he wants you to know him, shortly thereafter, very shortly thereafter, at 4.32 in the morning, at the foot of my bed, remember I'm Jewish, at the foot of my bed was a solid figure there, male, people want to know male, it was male, tall, very good looking, very soft, and I thought, well, I'm having a dream. So I uh, looked around to see if Casey was asleep, and she was. I thought if she opens her eyes, because the room was brightly lit, she's going to go right through the ceiling. So I thought, well, I'm having a dream, obviously. So I was smart enough to sit up and watch this dream disappear, and he stayed there. And he said to me, Ray, from this moment on, everything's going to be all right. Now, he didn't say perfect. He didn't say outstanding. He says it was going to be all right. Okay, fine. If somebody gives me a warm fuzzy, I'm smart enough to keep it. Cold pricklies I throw out, but warm fuzzies I like to keep. Okay. Next day I had an appointment with the doctor, and the uh, Jewish doctor, and uh, keeping the family, you know. Uh, I went to him, and I always made an appointment with the last appointment of the day so that I didn't get up in the morning and go into his office. He says, you're great. Get out of here. There. So he took my blood pressure and he frowned. Now, remember, I'm a neurotic, highly emotional, easy upset, very sensitive, capable of making decisions destructive to self. So I says, uh-oh, I'm in deep shit, aren't I, Doc? He says, no. He went to page 14 of the big book. He says, something strange has happened that I don't understand. I says, nothing's happened, Doc. He says, look, something had happened. Doc, nothing happened. He says, something had to happen. I says, oh, okay, I had a crazy dream, all right? I don't want you to think I'm nuts. He says, tell me about it. I says, hey, Doc, you know, I've got enough problems with you, and I don't need this. He says, tell me about it. So I told him about it. He says, well, it's real. Okay. Shall we validate that? Yes, let's validate that. Okay. Page 14 of the big book. 
Let's see. Uh, God comes to most men gradually, but his impact on me was sudden and profound. For a moment I was alarmed and called my friend the doctor, asked if I was still saying. He listened to wonder as I talked. Finally he shook his head saying, Something has happened to you I don't understand, but you better hang on to it. Anything uh, is better than the way you were. The good doctor now sees many men who have such experiences. He knows that they are real. Okay, fast forward. About three weeks later, a guy uh, comes up to me and says, Ray, he says, uh, would you be my sponsor? I said, well, yeah, I'm available. Uh, he says, but uh, he says, i got to tell you something. I said, well, that's right. He says, no, I don't want you to think I'm nuts. I said, well, that's okay. He says, no, no, this, this, is, this is something very weird. I said, okay, fine. Don't worry about it. You know what he did, don't you? He described the identical same vision that I had at 4.32 in the morning. Okay. Is it real? I don't know. Somebody once said, for those who believe, no explanation is necessary. And for those who do not believe, no explanation is possible. Okay, and I covered page 14. Page 23 says that the main problem of the compulsive overeater begins in his mind, not in his body. So you see, the obsession to, to overeat was the thing I had to overcome. Not because once I could get through the, once the obsession got in there, then the compulsion kicked in, and once I got started, I was unable to, thought, unable to stop. So the obsession is the fixed idea that I can do something just one time. The compulsion is that once I get started, I'm unable to stop. So can I now, after 30 years, one month, and eight days in this program, a back-to-back abstinence, can I eat a Snickers candy bar? Yes, I can. Can I eat two of them? Yes, I can. Can I eat a whole box of them? Yes, I can. And what would happen after the first one? My mind would say to me, you see, Ray, 30 years, one month, eight days, pal, you've got it made. You're cured. You can eat all you want. You don't have to worry because your program is so solid. Remember the story in the big book about the guy that poured the alcohol into his milk and uh, nothing happened? He tried it again and stuff. In four years, he was dead. Uh, I'm, not gonna, I'm not willing to pay that kind of price. So while I judge myself by my intentions, everybody else is judging me by my actions there. So what I had to realize when I got in this program is that I have a disease. A disease. That's dis-ease. And this is the program that will alleviate those things. Because if I kept doing the things I was doing, I'd keep getting the results that I was getting. So I had to learn about the stairway, which is the 11 suggested steps to recovery. Yes, there are only 11 suggested steps to recovery. There is one compulsory step. That's how we get the 12 steps. The first step is a compulsory step, and it says this. We had to admit to our animal selves that we are compulsible readers. This is the first step of recovery. That's a compulsive step. Okay. So I had to admit that I was powerless over food and that my life was unmanageable by me. Because you see, my life is not unmanageable. My life is only unmanageable by me. It is manageable by a power greater than myself, God as I understand him, and I refer to as the coach. Okay? So if that be the case, then uh, step one is surrender. And surrender means to be held in check by a power greater than myself, God as I understand him. So surrender is not submission. Okay? So if that be the case, 
and I've surrendered, then I need to go to step two. It says, came to believe that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity or serenity, the ability to live peacefully, joyously, and comfortably with myself. Okay, came means I showed up. Came to means I woke up. And came to believe means I stood up under the power and guidance of this power greater than myself, God, as I understood him, understand him. Okay. In step three, there, that's the trust step, where I make a decision to turn my will, which is my wishes, my wants, and my desires, and my life, which is everything else, over to the care of God as I understand him. I kick in the last part of step 11, praying only for the knowledge of his will for me, the power and I add, and patience to carry it out. I used to get in a program and said, okay, God, I need help right now. Boom. And uh, didn't always happen that way. So I found out that God's time is, God's answer is yes, no, or later. I can understand the yes, I don't like the no, and later I can't wait for. I need instant uh, reaction there. So I covered. Uh, now, what do I do to work my program here? The very first thing I do every morning, even before I go piddle, is I, I do the third step prayer on page 63 of the big book. And what I do is I open my eyes, I sit up, put my feet over the side of the bed, and do that third step prayer. It says God. And that tells me where source is. Because God is source, man is manifestation. What I am is God's gift to me, but what I do with it is my gift to God. So it's a two-way street, and there's no such thing as something for nothing. Okay? God, I offer myself to Thee, and I do this with visualization. I visualize myself stepping forward. There, I offer myself to Thee to build with me, and I envision Him building, constructing. Build with me, and do with me as Thou want, wish. D relieve me of the bondage of self, and I understand now what Martin Luther King said when he said, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. Because when I say relieve me of the bondage of self, I can feel the bonds uh, breaking, much like the, uh, what is it, the Incredible Hulk. Uh, I remember him, he was Bill Bixby, and we became the Hulk. You know, the buttons went flying, the shirt flew apart, and everything of that sort, and everything. Well, uh, you know, I am, I am free. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. Leave me the bondage of self, I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, and I envision him pulling these out of me, much like... You guys probably don't remember when you used to take sand and put it on a piece of, uh, take a magnet and run around the filings. You put it on the piece of paper, and then you used to take the magnet and put it underneath, and you could move the filings around, and you could pull them forwards or backwards or anything. So relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do that. I will take away my difficulties, and I can feel him pulling these difficulties out of my body. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. And now I'm ready to start my day. Of thy help, that's an acronym, his ever-loving presence. H-E-L-P, his ever-loving presence. Okay, we covered that. So, I have the responsibility of doing what this program says. Responsibility, that's my response to God's ability. And along with that responsibility comes honesty and truth, the honesty and thought, truth and words, and love in action. Okay? Gee, he's moving along nicely. That's very good. Uh, abstinence. Abstinence must be the most important thing in my life without exception. I heard that and I said, bullshit. 
there. God is the most important thing in my life without exception, and I was wrong. Can you believe that I said that? I cannot believe I said that, but I was wrong. And the reason for it is, is this. Without abstinence, I can't find God. And without God, I can't work the program. So, abstinence must be the most important thing in my life without exception. Okay? Hamlet had a good saying for abstinence. He said, refrain tonight, and that shall lend a kind of easiness to the next abstinence, and the next more easy, for use can almost change the stamp of nature. For use can almost change the stamp of nature. Okay, how's that English teacher? Going pretty good here, okay? I already talked about the accession and the compulsion. Page 45 of the big book. It says, the main purpose of this book is to enable us to find a power greater than ourselves that will solve our problem. Notice the words that it says. It doesn't say the main purpose of this book is to enable us to find a power that hopefully will can do something for us, or maybe someday will do something, or possibly could do. There, it makes a declarative statement. The main purpose of this book is to enable us to find a power greater than ourselves that will solve our problem. And believe me, this will solve our problem. How do I work this program? It says H-O-W. Honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. That's fine. The only thing is, is where does this apply? Well, if I take H-O-W and I put W-H-O, then I've got who has to be honest, open-minded, and willing. Well, then it tells me it has to be me. Well, now, there ought to be a something else to go along with that. How about O-W-H? Ah, that sounds good. O-W-H. We'll stay with the letters. One with him. There again, God is source. And as long as I always, always depend upon God, I know that I'm on the right track. Okay. So I explain that. Okay, running right along. I remember a, a, a thing that I read called um, Broken Dreams because we used to always, you know, hey, God, what's, what's, what's taking so long? I've already asked you to take care of this situation, and I'm still waiting. And there was a thing called Broken Dreams that I read, and you probably remember. It goes something like this. As children bring their broken toys with, fear, with tears for us to mend, I brought my broken dreams to God because he was my friend. But instead of leaving him in peace to work alone, I hung around and tried to help with ideas that were my own. Suddenly I grabbed them back and cried, How could you be so slow, my child? He said, What could I do? You never did let go. So that was when they taught me, Let go and let God. And that has always been working there. So, let go, let God. We went to step two, faith. Forsaking all, I trust Him. F-A-I-T-H. Forsaking all, I trust Him. You hear all these acronyms, the reason for it being, I remember when I was in kindergarten, you know, you walk into kindergarten and the teacher says, okay, here's your cubicle here, here's where you put your lunch pail, here's the hook you hang your uh, coat on, here's where you hang your umbrella when it's raining, and everything. Everything was compartmentalized, okay? So I have to compartmentalize my brain, otherwise I'm in trouble because being a neurotic, highly emotionally upset, very sensitive, capable of making decisions destructive to self. Gee, can he say that all in one breath so fast? Okay, so, um, faith. And then, of course, 
Uh, you know what faith is. We, uh, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We all know that, don't we? Oh, okay. And I explained to you about that. Uh, and I explained about this here. Ah, the story of the photographer on the mountain there. But before we get to that, we talk about uh, after faith, of course, we need to have one other thing to build a solid foundation because I cannot build a house of foundation that's going to stand unless I have a solid foundation there. So I need steps one, two, and three. Step three is the trust step. Step one is surrender. Step two is faith. Step three is trust there. And I have to make a decision there. When I made a decision to turn my will, my life over the care of God as I understand them. Okay. Now, it tells me the story of a photographer that was up on the mountain, uh, I guess on the top of Mulholland or something of that sort, up on a higher mountain, maybe up in Bel Air or something of that sort on the edge. And he had his big view camera, and he was taking a view of the beautiful day of the San Fernando Valley when it's not foggy or smoggy or rainy or whatever. And he didn't have the view that he wanted, so he moved his camera a little bit closer to the edge, and he didn't quite yet have the view, so he moved it just a little bit closer, and he had almost what he wanted he to. He moved it one step further, and he fell over the side of the cliff. And as he was falling through space, flailing his arms, he caught hold of some of this stuff that hangs out from the mountain, weeds or chaparral or whatever they call this stuff. And he catches them, and it stops them. And he yells that familiar word, Help! H-E-L-P, his ever-loving presence. Help! Help! Is there anyone who can help me? And he hears a voice and say, yes, I can help you. And he looks around. He doesn't see anybody. He says, I don't see anybody. Who are you? The voice says, I am God. He says, God? He says, can you help me? God says, yes, I can. He says, well, tell me what to do. God says, let go of the vine. He looks around. He says, is there anyone else who could help me? So, lack of power, that was our dilemma. Okay. So, I covered step three. You know, they tell me about prayer. They said, pray for the things, you know, that, that, uh, that you want in life. And they ask God for one thing or another. And when you think about it, being a logical person, how do I know that God is listening? I mean, if I'm going to pray... I want somebody who can do something about it to listen. Okay. Well, when the good Lord made human beings, he gave them two things to make sure that he'd always know who is praying and who is talking or touching something or going somewhere. He gave us a set of fingerprints. Everybody knows that, that a different set of fingerprints. So that anything you touch, he could say, oh, that's Charlie, that's Mary, that's Susie, etc., but in prayer, he also gave us a different voice pattern that nobody in the world can duplicate, including Rich Little. Everybody has a different voice pattern. Not a different voice, a voice pattern. And it's this pattern that God looks at when you pray. And that's why prayer works, because God knows who's praying. Okay? And that's it there. Let's see. I told you that. Uh uh, there and uh, oh yes. Another thing about about uh, trusting God. 
There's another uh, poem out there that says, I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, Give me a light that I may go out into the night. And the man of the year said, Go out into the darkness, put your hand into the hand of God. That for you shall be better than any light and safer than a known way. Guys, if you're hearing spirituality, let me tell you, that I experience, for me, the physical manifestation of the presence of God because I break out in goosebumps there. This works, and if you'll try it, you'll find out that it really does work. Prayer works. Okay. Now, I said, okay, Coach, what else have you done for us besides giving us the voice pattern and the fingerprints and everything? What have you done to put us together so that we can be successful. You know what success is? It is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. So no matter what you're doing, if it's a worthy ideal, you are successful. Okay? He says, well, Ray, I'm going to tell you. No, he actually says Raymond. He calls me Raymond instead of Ray. He calls me Raymond. He says, remember this. I've designed you for accomplishment. I've engineered you for success. And I've endowed you for greatness. And this is what I've done for all my children. Design them for accomplishment, engineer them for success, and endow them for greatness. Isn't that a wonderful thing to know what God has done for us? So I said to Dowdy, I said, well, you know, the problem out there is that everybody else is, is, is not doing what I want them to do. And if they would change... I would change. I would be, it would be wonderful. We would have peace on earth. Everything would be great. And she said to me, when you change you, Ray, everything around you will change. And I thought, what a cute saying. This is another one of those things that they're kicking around away. Guess what? I changed me. And guess what? The rest of the world changed too. Incredible. Amazing that it works. Step four, inventory. I said number one is I'm not going to write an inventory there. First of all, I put four years in the Navy, and I learned words in the Navy that were never anyplace else out on the street until I walked into an OA meeting and blew my mind there. there. Okay. I said, number one, I wouldn't do an inventory. Number two, if I did an inventory, but I wouldn't. But if I did, I certainly would not... Uh, do a written inventory. And if I did by chance do a written inventory, I certainly would not give it away to a woman. That's for sure. Well, I did inventories and I gave them written and I gave them away to women and I read them and guess what? I thought I would blow their mind and they just sat there with a whole hum attitude, listen, and said, Ray, if everybody in the program did their inventory on a typewriter at that time, computers today, printed it out in the same paper, threw it on the floor, five minutes later you could not pick up your own inventory. Okay. And one of the things, of course, in inventory, you know, is sex. And it reminds me of the story of the woman who was having sexual problems. And she got into the program and she asked about where uh, she could find out uh, about the sexual problems in the big book. And... Somebody referred her to page, I always forget, what page is it? Page 69. Bill and Bob had a, a great mind. Page 69. And when she got home, she got home and very excited, she went to the book. 
And instead of 69, she wound up on 96. And here's what she read. Do not be discouraged if your prospect does not respond at once. <laughs> Seek out another compulsive reader and try again. You will surely find somebody eager enough to share with you their, their whatever it is that they have. And she says, we find it a waste of time to keep chasing a man who cannot or will not work with you. So that was the story of so quick. Gee, and I was talking as fast as I could talk. Okay, I covered that. Uh, so I was going to work this program on perfection there because after all, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it right, okay? So Churchill had a, a saying on perfection. He says, the maxim that nothing avails but perfection may be spelled paralysis. So that meant get moving, Ray, and, and don't worry about the results. You stay out of the uh, head department. You just do the footwork. Let God do the head work and everything will be all right. One of the things that, that showed up on my inventory a lot was anger. You know what anger is. That's resentment turned outward, and resentment is anger turned inward. So either way, neither of them are any good. Uh, Buddha had a, a saying on anger. He said, you will not be hurt for your anger, you will be hurt by your anger. And Dada used to say to me, the container that carries the acid is the one that gets eaten. So, fear, that was the biggie. The biggest thing that kept showing up on my inventory was fear. F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. And I like face everything and recover. When I face the things I fear the most, the death of fear is certain. Or fear knocks, faith answers, and there's no one there. And what I had to do was to find out where the boogeyman was with fear. And I found it in my book at that time on page, in step 7, it was on page 77 in my books, it's on page 76 or 75, depending on some of the new books. And it said this, it said, the chief activator of my character defects is self-centered fear. Primarily fear that I'm going to lose something I already have, or I'm going to fail to get something I demand. Living upon a basis of unsatisfied demands, I would be in a state of continual disturbance and frustration. Therefore, no peace was to be had or found until I could find the means for reducing these demands. The means for reducing those demands, my friends, is steps one, surrender, step two, faith, and step three, trust, and then fear dissolves. Okay. Moving right along, I covered that. Uh, I'm not going to worry about that one as a moat. Uh, there. The serenity prayer. It says, God, grant me the serenity, accept the things I cannot change, courage change, things I can't wisdom, know the difference. We say it all the time, and we run it by just about that quick. Let's look at it a minute. God, right away, the first word, there we go, is source. God is source, okay? God, uh, grant me the serenity the ability to live peacefully, joyously, and comfortably with myself. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Okay? Now, if I can't learn to accept the things I cannot change, then I will be immobilized. I will be frozen. And I will be unable to take any action of any kind. 
And Dottie used to say to me, Ray, you're going to have to accept the unacceptable even unto death. So accept the things I cannot change. Have the courage to change the things I can. If I can do something about it, I'm going to do it. And if I can't do anything about it, I'm going to have to accept it. I simply have no other choice. Okay. Page 83, the promises. If we are painstaking, very careful about what we do. Painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. And we will. These promises are coming true for me on a daily basis. There. They work. And uh, because I'm going to run out of time, I'm going to speed up here. Uh, six W's that I share with people all the time. Working will win while wishing won't. Okay? People say, gee, I wish this, that, that, everything else. Got to work the program. Working will win while wishing won't. Page 86 in the big book. That tells me what I'm going to do at night, review the day. Uh, what I'm going to do at night, and then what I'm going to do for the next day. Now, I'm a neurotic, so I never ask myself, what did I do right today, and what did I do bad, or what did I do wrong? I always ask myself, what did I do right today, and what could I have done better? Because at any given moment, I am doing the best I can with what I've got for where I'm at. And if I could do better, I would. Okay, moving right along. Page 98 in the big book. It says, burn the idea into the consciousness of every person that they can get well regardless of anyone. The only condition is that they trust God and clean house. Steps 1, 2, and 3 there. It's trust God and clean house. Step 4, inventory. Step 10, continued to take personal inventory. And when I'm wrong promptly admit it. I remember reading that the first time. I thought, you know, pretty interesting. Continue to take personal inventory, and when they're wrong, promptly tell them. That's how you lose a lot of jobs when you tell your boss that. Page 112, very interesting. I, I just bring this to your attention just for kicks. The first three words on page 112 says, read this book. I just thought it was a kick, that's all. Page 133 talks about the deliberate manufacture of misery there. It says, uh, do not deliberately manufacture. Let's see what it says real quick here. Uh, it says, we cannot subscribe to the belief that this life is veiled tears. It was just once that for many of us. But it is clear that we made our own misery. God didn't do it. Avoid then the deliberate manufactured misery. But if trouble comes, cheerfully capitalize on it as uh, the opportunity to demonstrate his omnipotence. There. Okay. Oh, moving right along, I'm going to hit it. Resentment, page 449 in the big book. Whenever I am disturbed, is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation unacceptable to me, and I can find no peace or serenity, etc., until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation exactly as it's supposed to be. Nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake. Okay, so uh, it's up to me to do it. Page 452 talks about serenity is inversely proportional to my expectations. The higher my expectations, 
the lower is my serenity, the higher my serenity, the lower my expectations. They're inversely proportional. Two closing thoughts there. Gee, I thought you'd never get to it. The architect, this God, this world, this program is designed by God, who I call the architect of the universe. And the architect of the universe, number one, would not give us a stairway that leads nowhere. The 12 steps. And the final closing thought is this. The love in my heart wasn't put there to stay. I can't keep what I've got until I give it away. And I thank you very much for the privilege of allowing me to do this for the past 30 years, one month, and eight days. God bless you.